Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Good evening, everyone. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. <laughs> it's already starting out so well. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, and that means if you have a paranormal need or you think you have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a while. Just moving some sound around here. It might take us a while, but uh, we will get to you. And if we can't get to you right away... We do have mediums on staff that can phone you and talk to you about what's going on. Okay. All right. Now we're getting the show on the road. Unfortunately, William Ramsey couldn't make it tonight. It's a family issue. So what we do on nights when the guests can't make it is we play with my glasses. No. Is um, we read. Because we, we, we do a read every Sunday in a paranormal themed book. So today, because, you know, due, due to the... Uh, to, Mr. Ramsey rescheduling for next Thursday. Let me get this adjusted. Due to Mr. Ramsey rescheduling for next Thursday, I'm going to be reading out, out of the book for an hour. Um, on Sunday, we got through seven chapters. The book's written by Anna Maria Manalo, and it's called Unholy Structure. And we got I got through seven chapters on Sunday, and uh, it's very interesting, very spooky book. Very spooky. It's based on a true story of a um, haunting in a mansion. And the notes all come from a paranormal investigation team. So we're going to be continuing continuing with that tonight. That being said, you know, you don't have to watch me. You can just kind of kick back, eat your dinner, you know, and go in the other room and just put me on like the radio and just listen. Or lay on your couch, lay in bed, turn the lights down low and uh, listen to a spooky story, right? Okay. And uh, if, you're in, if you happen to be by your computer or your cell phone and you like what you hear tonight, you're watching from Facebook, please be sure I keep looking down and I'm sorry, I'm just trying to watch stuff with my glasses bifocals um please be sure to hit that like button and the heart button and the thumbs up button and all that stuff because when you do that it puts us higher in the algorithm of facebook and youtube with these shows uh again if you're watching from facebook and you haven't done so already uh hit that follow button too if, if you like what you hear tonight hit that follow button if, if you like this stuff and you know if you like um Spooky, spooky stuff anyway, because we cover UFOs and everything else, you know, you name it, we cover it. Again, and uh, same thing for the people over at YouTube. Uh, there's a little ghost, I think, I, I believe, in your bottom right-hand corner. And if you click on that, that will subscribe you to our video, or our shows. And we have around 550 shows now over on YouTube, and you can go through and check out the shows. And I'm sure there's something there for everybody. Because like I, like I keep saying, is I don't like to stick with just a paranormal topic. I like to vary the shows. So you'll find something different. Okay. Like tonight was supposed to be the uh, the, the uh, photography ad scandal, right? With, with William Ramsey. So, yeah, I like to do a little bit of everything. All right. That being said, I'm reading off my cell phone because my tablet isn't working. And um, unfortunately, with my glasses, until I get my contacts Friday... Unfortunately, with my glasses, I can't see books very well. I, I do have a hard copy of, of the thing. 
um, of the book, but my tablet is so full of stuff, I can't get anything on it. So <laughs> that ends that. So I'm having to rekindle off my cell phone. So that would be interesting that I did this Sunday as well. Okay, so without further ado, we are at Chapter 7. And so far, to give everybody a quick update on the book itself, um, the investigator has gone out for the first time to go check out the, you know, the, the place. And it turns out to be this mansion way out in the middle of nowhere. And they're trying, that the owners are trying to turn into a B&B. But there's a lot of issues with it because they can't keep a construction crew working there. And, it's, you know, it's been like, I don't know, three, four years they've been trying to remodel this place and they can't get anything done because because of what's going on inside. And the other thing is the construction crews won't stay past nightfall. They'll leave. They'll make it a point to leave. So there's creepy stuff going on. And this stuff um, allegedly happened. You know, I'm, I'm a paranormal investigator. And, you know, you really can't say whether it's, you know, it's, it's an exact, it's, it's, it's exact profession, an exact field. So, you know, you try to present the best evidence that you can with cases and, and gather the best evidence that you possibly can. And that's where these guys are going to be starting to do that with this case. So it's an interesting book. It's also a very spooky book. And the first time I did a read-through on it, um, I was sitting in here and you know how plastic water bottles will, will, will click and, and expand and, and, and stuff. And I had one expand while I was in here and I jumped about a foot. So, yeah. And it takes a lot. Excuse me a second. It takes a lot for me to jump like that, you know, to make to make me jump. Excuse me while I drink real quick. So if you're ready, like I said, put your feet up, you know, sit on the couch in the dark by the fire. I don't know where, wherever you're at. It might be cold where you're at. You know, it's cold here. So uh, that or have your dinner and just put just put me on your radio. You know, if I was a radio station, carry me around. I have people listen to me read that do laundry <laughs> so i end up in their basements you know just take me along you know so here we go um we have one more sip of water and we're gonna get into this we are in chapter seven so i will read for about an hour and then uh, we'll call it a day all right so i'm gonna put this up here i usually don't drink on camera but you know all right so like i said um i don't have the best eyesight but hopefully i can get through this so here we go Chapter 7, Friday. That's why I turned this up so I can move, my, move around a little more. John? It was Jerry's voice. Yes. Did you go to the attic yesterday? Not yet. I was on the main floor talking to the older gentleman. Can't recall his name this sec. Ed. One of the carpenters. Dogman. We named him. Jerry chuckled. Yeah, that's it, Ed. He told me he won't work on the third floor anymore. John, there's been another incident. I think this dude's memory is fresh, so you may want to talk to him or go to the attic. Okay, it's Friday morning, and I need to go to work first. He won't stay after sundown anymore, so unless you come, I'll try to be there by four. Is that all right? Whatever you can do. I can't lose another man. This guy is clearing all, all, all this guy's clearing all the crap for the owners. All the dirty work. John leaped out of bed, searching for his reading glasses. He glanced at Sally beside him, asleep. The clock near her said 5.55 a.m. It had to be urgent. Stay up tonight and make me a sandwich? It was Sally. Something happened again? No, but I'm, con but I'm concerned about the stuff at work. John sighed. He, he was feeling stressed. 
Please, are you still on that Lamberger case? No. This one's not in Pennsylvania. Who's on the Lamberger case? Rob. Please tell me you won't be going back there. I promise. Chapter 8. John shined his flashlight, a powerful one, self-consciously touching the crucifix around his neck as he ascended the stairs. Below him, Trevor followed. John noted that the man appeared unsure, almost ready to flee, and was sweating. Give me some space, please, John remarked, as he felt the man's sneakers at his heels. I, uh, need to clear this stuff up by, min by Monday. You only got daytime tomorrow, Saturday. Daytime tomorrow, Saturday. For real? Yeah. My crew and I are staying tonight, and Saturday we're coming back after dinner and overnight. For real? You gotta be. So tell me again now that we're here. John flicked the light switch, and the cave-like space flooded with light. He turned to Trevor, who appeared to be holding his breath. Awesome. Is this part? Yes. Until the manager finds a new electrician for, for the other parts of the house. In this part, sorry. In this part, yes. Until the manager finds a new electrician for the other parts of the house. Well, I ain't going there. Show me the tub of the statue. Trevor stopped only a few boxes. I'm sorry. Trevor stopped over a few boxes and led the way. John followed, turning on his flashlight as the light receded in the center of the darkness. Several items were strewn all over. The man had his work cut out for him. Trevor led the way to the claw-footed tub toward the center of the room and paused, pointing at the interior. I see. John turned his flashlight towards the tub, inspecting it. It was relatively white and clean, though a bit dusty from lack of use. What do you think it is? I'm more interested in what you thought you saw. Trevor walked over and peered in. He looked surprised. The darn thing had dried blood covering the bottom. I'm telling you. John leaned over and touched the edge where it did appear to be rusted. He sniffed his finger where he made contact. Mold. Too old to tell. I ain't lost my mind, man. I didn't say you did. We see things, and that's why we call it a haunted place. So I saw it last night. Sometimes things change in the daylight. The man let out a grunt. Trevor pointed to the reclined female statue, the nude. This here? This is where there was a female voice. She said fire. John looked at the alabaster statue, excuse me, of the naked woman, Athena. Yeah, something like that. Like, watch where you're going. That's actually the first thing I heard. Then you heard the word fire. And you heard the word fire? Yep, real clear, twice. John made a note in his notebook and pushed onto the rest of the attic. He smelled it before he saw it. Sulfur. Were you smoking up here? Hell no. You sure? John eyed the cigarette box tucked inside the man's shirt. I only chew gum in here. Can I go now? May I ask you what your job is for this crew? I'm hauling the furniture and the pricey stuff out. I was told to junk everything plastic or paper and then take, and then, and then take the crap to the owner's consignment store. Why? Just wondering. You touch or change anything? Fix? No. Garbage? Gar garbage and crap? Yes. All I was told to do was wrap and haul so they could sell the crap since, the, since there's a delay of plans. So you didn't fix or pull out? Nuh-uh. I swear. There's a truck container. Okay. There's a truck container you saw that I'm supposed to fill with this stuff. That's all. May I go now? I gotta... John nodded. He wasn't going to force someone who was clearly uncomfortable to stay. 
It was now getting late, darker. John wondered if he should go home. Talk to Sally to prepare her to stay home alone for the weekend. He still had several rooms to walk through and the overnight to do with the rest of his new crew. He missed Rob. Chapter 9 Sally studied the photos from the Lamberger house, an investigation that was still very active. John sat by her elbow as he ate the last of dinner on their breezy deck. Their teenage daughter, Roxanne, watching a YouTube video on her iPad nearby, sporting shorts and a t-shirt with the Maroon 5 logo. Sally put down one, one photo, a black and white glossy that John had one of the crew in hands, a photography buff who, who still did developing the old-fashioned way. The man in the shot looked dead ahead, no pun intended, at the camera from an open doorway of a pantry. He looked like any other human except he was very pale and his eyes had no whites. Dead man's eyes with Beatles haircuts. The couple and the kid saw that too, John added. So why me, in the hospital? What's the connection? Could be anyone. Could be that whoever you saw was just similar, maybe? I got a really malicious vibe from it. You sure no one else saw it or him? Sally's half the table. Yes. John sighed. You seen it since? This ghost? No, thank God but I don't feel like I can go back to that room for a while. I know what you mean. I did tell a friend she works in pathology. She understands. Great. I'll be at this mansion that's... Sally's eyes widened. When? The team's meeting at the diner and heading out by 7 p.m. tomorrow. You're doing an overnight? John looked down and nodded. It's short notice, I know, but the owners are running everywhere. The crew's on the edge. Roxanne's going to be with, with friends at the movies. I think she wanted... Sally gave her daughter a look. Oh, Dad, I wish you had told me. Sally gave John a questioning look. It's a new investigation, Roxanne. I'd, I'd rather feel it out first. I can't. I, I, I can't now, anyway. I promised my friends I'd go with them to the movies, dinner and stuff. Next time, I'll tell you, lady, I'll tell you ladies, but I still have my concerns about involving you two. I'm off. I can't go. I'm off. I can't. I'm off, I can go, Sally offered. You're you're asking tonight about a real urgent case, John replied. The Lamberger house was urgent, too. The other one was, too. Sally, I'd have to train you. You know it could be... I don't have to work this weekend. I've got the week, I've got the weeknight shift. Besides, and be, besides, and besides, I don't want to be alone. I understand. Please let me think about where to put you. Then what are you saying? Give me a few minutes, John pondered. Give me a few minutes, John pondered how he had a deadline and two newbies to train. Okay, 20 years you've never taken me. I always wanted to see what you did. After what you just encountered at the hospital, this is so unlike you. Mom, it would scare the crap out of you, really. Sally darted a glance at her daughter and a smile played on her lips as her eyes sparkled. I'm daring myself to face my fear. I'm scared because I don't know what's really out there. Really, Mom. John watched the interaction between mother and daughter, a playful exchange of banter. There's a danger out there of attracting the wrong entity, just like you just like you said Dad might have brought home, Roxanne mourned. Like a bad date, Sally jibed. Uh, worse, Mom, much worse. I know that now after the thing with the hospital, believe me, Sally mused. Dear, what can I do so I won't be in the way? Maybe I can just ride along, Sally offered. 
silence. Sally sensed John's reluctance and opened the sliding glass door and re-entered the kitchen. John grabbed the plates as Roxanne cleared the rest of the table. He winked at Roxanne as she followed him back inside the kitchen. Help me with the recordings. You can be my assistant. Rob's not going to be with us. Sally turned, pleased. I'll teach you. Orion will. You're smarter than me, John said. Fine. But I won't put you inside the house. You'll monitor from the safety of the van. Relative, relative safety, I have to say. What if something goes wrong? Just curious. You'll have headphones and we'll have ours. You can talk to us from the van. Walkie-talkies like. Bring the Bible. It's already in the truck. I'll take my rosary. Chapter 10. Here we go. Brent Cooper took in the expansive view from the front porch, sipping a cold Pepsi from the creaking rocking chair. He stood up, almost reluctantly, and checked his watch. It was going to be another human night, which he hated when he had to dig. He had his electrician's truck. His father's name still stenciled on the side. He made a middle note to add, and son, as he didn't want to erase his father's work. He wasn't ready for that yet. His father's last view was this same house, this mansion that Brett found himself in. He wasn't about to quit, as his father always taught him that no matter what happens, people respected people who wanted their commitment. He was committed to finishing what his father had started on the project. Albeit, it wasn't much from what he surmised. Brent wondered what his father saw that led him to finish the bottle of bourbon. It was the last thing he needed after years of heavy drinking. His kidneys couldn't handle it. It just went downhill from there. Between shuttling back and forth to the dialysis center and training his, his wire-haired griffins, a sporting breed that he's come to love, his days and evenings were full. He walked down from the porch, approaching a trench in the ground that had been freshly dug several yards away. It was 7 p.m. on a Friday when the sun was still out, perfect to do a quick initial survey to get his bearings. Then a late dinner with his wife and a couple of friends. He looked forward to the weekend, too. Saturday mornings were perfect, as it was the time no one would get in the way. No trucks, other equipment, or noises but his. Like tonight. The owners had offered him a room so he couldn't re- Excuse me. The offer said, the, the, the owners had offered him a sum he couldn't refuse for considering weekends instead. What a windfall. The wife didn't want to do anything on the weekends anyway until the dogs were done training and given to their hunters' homes forever. There was only one remaining pup to train. Perfect. Vacation money. His father wanted them to go and was, and was staying with his younger sister, who thankfully lived near the hospital where the where the COVID was low. The electrical pipes needed to be buried, but first he needed to locate the main cable from City Electric. He looked farther afield at the small scattered remains of a wall and wondered what, what it was. Another house behind it, perhaps? He'd have to walk over and check it out before the night got darker. He also needed to survey where the closet, where the closest cable was. The main pipe, if there was one, must be towards the street between that residence and this mansion. He raised his eyes to the sky, looking for electrical lines and poles. He spotted one about a half mile away, leading to the main road. Crap. This was going to be a huge job, he thought. Big money. 
he might be able to get two more griffins with the money. No electricity until now. Imagine that. No wonder the former crew worked with, gen with generators sputtering away for all sorts of electrical needs. Even the lights. He had heard about the lights sputtering on and off and making everyone dash out like something was after them. He grabbed his identification <clears throat> from the truck just in case someone thought he, he, was a, he was a prowler, a mask, and a couple of stakes to mark the pipe should he find it, as well as a trowel he used for, his type, for this type of digging. It should be bright blue. A gas line would be yellow. Dig small, dig safely, and watch for gas lines, his father had taught him. At least this was a very old neighborhood, and he didn't have to worry about gas lines. He raised his father's binoculars, old ones, that stay fogged up despite his cleaning cloth. Less than three or four acres away, the wall, the wall was from where he was standing, he surmised. Or was it farther? He was having difficulty with distance perception again. He strode forward, inhaling a scent of wet grass after the summer rain. Chapter 11 A long wooden counter was built along both sides of the paranormal van. Three stools in the middle. Each counter was laden with electronic devices, monitors, and recording paraphernalia. Sitting on one of the stools, Ryan sported a thick tuft of hair, one side longer than the other, covering his right eye. He was built like a sports trainer and dressed like one since, since he was. The fitness studio gave him the ability to juggle his schedule as one of the first trainers in their new branch downtown. So he sat in the van, freshly showered and shaved, and ready to rock and roll. A weekend overnight was what made Ryan's heart tick. He loved the paranormal, particularly detecting ghosts of any type and, and, and any type of activity signaling the existence of life after death. As he sat perched on a camp stool, he watched Sally as she sat right next to him early Friday afternoon, parked right outside her home. He was wearing, he was wearing his new pair of hokas for the occasion. Now, considered a veteran on the team by John, he considered it a privilege to be training John's wife. Out of sheer habit, he pushed the hair aside and away from his eye as he peered at the monitors, adjusting dials as Sally watched. He sensed, he sensed that Sally was apprehensive, but knew in time she would become confident. John hadn't shared with him Sally's experiences at her place of work at, at the hospital. John wanted Ryan's instincts to kick in if anything was attached to Sally without biasing him with her recent encounter. As Sally watched Ryan play with the dials to adjust the meters and the camera's lighting, she looked at the, at the spare cameras near them, which were going to be placed in strategic places inside the house. Three EVP monitors sat on a shelf nearby, small, compact, and very newer. Okay, Sal, look at it now. Sally turned back to the monitor with the four split screens. Their living room, kitchen, spare bedroom, and dining room were all in view, including the sides of the house, plus the deck and pond. Wow, no shadows. Yep, that's your house. Bright. This mansion won't be. No lights at all? Well, only the new part. Then we'll put some in, and some of our own lanterns and flashlights, but the rest might be from the construction labs. How many cameras are we using? All ten, plus our EVPs. Plus all our EVPs. So I'll be busy. Yes. But don't forget, one of the new guys will be by the front door if you need help. Which new guy? Just met him, Larry. 
Sally hit the record button as four, as four screens came to focus. Each screen was large enough to show four cameras at different angles, while another two screens were split to show the ninth and tenth camera. Sally chuckled and clicked her tongue. A lot to monitor on these monitors. She moved a dial, and the screen quality came into sharper focus. Good. You can call us on the walkie to adjust it for some reason. Okay, to adjust it. If for some reason we hit a camera by accident. See this? Ryan po pointed to a button here. A microphone for Sally's benefit. Sally responded by putting on the headset like a headband around her blonde head. Ryan fiddled with the dial, and one screen seemed to get too bright. Okay, just curious. Why would it go dark? Sally asked. Ryan paused. He had seen that phenomenon many times right before an apparition, or when something entered a room. He decided he would be up front with John's wife. Well, one of two reasons. Reason one, being an apparition is about to show up, or reason two, someone or something passed the camera. Sally's eyes registered awe. Ryan leaned to one side by a small table. In my own experience, the energy in the room, when this happens, gets thick, like heavy. And yes, you want me to adjust the lighting at that point? Ryan had to think. Any type of human interference sometimes made whatever was out there shy away or dissipate. Maybe not. Just keep recording until we signal you to stop or change something. Chapter 12 John grabbed his flashlights okay. John grabbed his flashlights propped on the sawhorse shoulder and shouldered shouldered his backpack and walked away from the work site. Behind him, men were busily erecting another scaffold as power saws and other equipment added to the bustle of a typical busy construction site. Quickly he paused at the curb and then crossed the wide street, heavy with traffic. He glanced at his watch and noted that it was exactly 5.55 p.m. There we go again, he thought, triple digits. He clambered into his truck, tossing his pack in the back, and carefully placed the flashlights on the passenger seat next to him. He pulled down the visor, and the keys lit, and a gold crucifix fell on his lap. Quickly, he added the crucifix to the flashlights on the passenger seat. Next to it was a small Bible and a scapular, a necklace made with a cloth with a square felt at the end, square, yeah, with a square felt at the end, which contained the relic of a saint. He hoped he didn't need any of them. John frowned in concentration as he speeded down and entered the highway. He watched the roadsides and rolled down the window for some fresh air as the truck hummed steadily, marking the miles behind him. He looked up at the rear view, and a thin young man driving another truck, a GMC, entered the highway, following him. The new recruit, Larry. In his early 20s, Larry was another man from his day job who did mill work and had enlisted on his team. He waited at the rearview mirror, and the young man with wavy blonde hair and a, and a mustache way back. John turned to the right lane and entered another Sorry, John turned to the right lane and entered another route, gunning the engine for the main road towards his town and passed it to the outskirts. He turned on the radio when the news came on, announcing a sunny afternoon. His thoughts wandered as he thought of the attic and the, and the man Trevor, whom he felt had not told him everything. Then John glanced at the rearview mirror again to check to see if the new recruit was following. Instead, his breath caught in his throat. What appeared to be gray smoke was coming from the back seat. A distinct scent of sulfur permeated the air. John turned and glanced behind him at the seat, but the air was clear. 
He looked back at the rearview mirror and saw the smoke wafting towards him again. Again, he glanced back, but the air was clear. The smell of sulfur overpowered the air in puzzlement. John wondered what was going on. He wouldn't mention it to Sally, as she had had enough on her as she had enough on her mind with her first night on the team ahead of her. He would wait to tell Rob when he caught up with him about the Lamberger house. John looked behind him once again as he continued to observe the smoke in the rearview mirror. He turned back and screeched his brakes as a dark blue car entered his lane, honking in near collision. John hit the steering wheel with one large, powerful hand in exasperation. Go away, whoever you are. John glanced at the rear view as he intoned a St. Michael prayer and observed the new recruit driving closer to his truck, almost colliding when he braked. He'd have to remind him to bring some form of, uh, excuse me, he'd have to remind him to bring some form of religious protection. The smoke dissipated as soon as he had finished the prayer. Behind John, Larry waved, smiling. Chapter 13 Brent walked between the tombstones, the scent of mildew and something heady assailing his nostrils. He wasn't expecting this wall to reveal a cemetery on the other side. The cemetery was so old that the wall had fallen in places, making it easy to enter. Brent, chuckle, Brent chuckled, recalling a private joke about cemetery walls. Were they designed for keeping people out or keeping the dead in? He glanced at his watch, an old-fashioned wind-up. The temperature had taken a turn now that it was closer to 8 p.m. He felt an intense desire to turn around and run, call it a day. He had tomorrow, but he was already here, so do something meaningful, he thought. He remembered filling out a timesheet in the truck with, Murray Pro with the Murray Properties letterhead. He overrode his gut instinct and sat on a large headstone instead. The tree above him moved to a gentle breeze, the leaves scintillating in the dim light. He dug, it, he dug in his pockets and decided to have a smoke before he got started. The lighter was there, but not his cigarettes. He turned towards the distance where his truck was parked, trying to decide whether to return to grab a cigarette. The presence of the cemetery didn't make his job locating the buried electrical wiring. If any, any easier. Sorry, I just stopped there. Let me read that again. <laughs> the presence of the cemetery didn't make his job of locating the buried electrical wiring, if any, any easier. He surveyed the trees above the headstone, searching for an electrical pole or a set of street lamps to mark the way. There were none. At the periphery of his vision, Brent felt movement. Someone passed by the headstone nearby. Brent did the double take. He flicked on his lighter, amazed at himself for being so stupid to attempt to survey this late. He realized he was in a rush to get on with the project. He looked around, the flame from the lighter too small to give any detail to the scene before him. A twig broke behind him. He whirled and the flame blew out. He clicked on the lighter, attempting to relight it. Then he felt it. Something told him he was not alone. Something made the hairs on the nape of his neck stand up. He kept flicking the lighter and finally flicked it back on. The flame blew out. Then he sent something slithering in the understory of the hedge nearby. Darn. Brent's internal compass told him with every nerve to leave. He darted forward, almost tripping on a headstone flush on the ground. Walking briskly away from the cluster of headstones, he fought the desire to run. Another twig broke. This seemed closer. 
Fred flicked on his lighter and held it towards the corpse of trees to his right. He hadn't noticed it before, but some movement caught his attention. It was towards a hill. He strode forward, faster now, eyeing the trees as he went. A dim light came from within the leaves. Orbs, red orbs, they appeared. Almost bright, but an ethereal glow. What was that? The lights began to move in unison towards him. The size of dimes, then into quarters. How far were they? A pair of eyes. Red eyes? Brent decided he didn't want to know. He walked double time out of the cemetery limits, moving his legs as fast as they would take him back to his truck. He stepped over the broken wall and out towards the mansion's grounds. Brent's ego took hold, and he straightened his spine, trying to appear as if he was just in a hurry. Too much of a hurry. Something, he sensed, was following him. He looked back, but the sun was now completely down and the darkness almost complete. Just a few more yards to the truck. He clicked on the fob, disengaging the door. He looked back. No eyes. He pulled at the driver's door, almost breathless. He slammed the door shut, hitting the ignition as he did. He looked at the mansion in the gloaming, and a light was flickering inside the house, up on the third floor. A fire? He looked back at the cemetery wall, several yards away now in the distant darkness. No orbs. What were they? Brent looked up at the mansion's third floor windows and wondered if the light within there was the sun's reflection. He stepped on the gas, drove down the side path, and turned the truck towards the back entrance. He surveyed the, wind he surveyed the windows, wondering if someone was working at this late hour on a Friday. Or was it flickering from someone's cigarette, left only to accidentally set a fire? Should he check it out just in case? He could do it from the safety of his truck, he decided. He slowed as he approached the back entrance, where there was a huge veranda. He looked up. More orbs met him, hovering over the top windows, the third floor of the mansion. The orbs descended, coming towards the roof of the truck. Brent's eyes widened. Brent stepped on the pedal and drove around, glancing at the cemetery in the distance as he passed. His truck's own engines signaled his desire to flee. Then he saw it. Something huge on four legs stood at the edge of the cemetery over a broken part of the, the, over a broken part of the wall watching him. A silhouette of something massive and hairy, judging from its head. A huge dog. Suddenly, it stood up on its hind legs, glaring at Brent. Its eyes bored into him. It began approaching, walking on two legs. Massive. That's not a... He gunned the engine. He wished he had the guts to pause, pull out his cell phone, and take a quick shot of the walking dog. No one would ever believe him. As Brent drove, a pack of cigarettes fell from his pants onto the floor of the truck. As he drove, he groped to pick it up. That was when he saw it. On the floor of the truck, animal hairs clung to his shoes. Panicked, he frantically shook them off. The truck weaved off the lane. Chapter 14 The van wove into the right lane, and Sally held on. They must have exited suddenly. Sally sat watching Ryan and Larry talk as if nothing had happened. So absorbed, they were studying the equipment together. In the driver's seat, in the driver's seat out of view, John drove with another new team member riding shotgun. Scott, the military guy who was now making a living of all things as a library assistant, she recalled. The man was wearing a red beret and army camo, the pockets of his cargo pants bulging with gear. She wondered where he was on. She wondered whether he was armed. All in all, there were five of them, 
doing the overnight. She was to stay in the van, and the rest would go into the house with, with John. Sally looked at her knapsack. Sally, okay, hang on a second. My eyes are dry. Sally looked at her knapsack and Roxanne's blanket on the floor of the van and thought about her first night so far assisting her husband. She hadn't stayed up all night since she was in high school. She grinned at the thought that she was camping out overnight of all places in a ghost invest in a ghost investigator's van. She found she was enjoying herself in escape in an escapade she never thought she'd be involved in. She felt the van, perceptibly slow, then almost stop. John's voice was raised in the cab, some excitement causing him to slow. The new guy, Scott, seemed to have spotted something, as his voice exuded excitement as well. The van moved to the right again, and she sensed they were slowing to allow another vehicle to pass. Ryan reached for the window's pattern's curtain and moved it aside to allow them to view what was going on. A vehicle screeched, and a door slammed. A man exited from an electrician's truck painted Cooper Electric on its side. He was approaching the van. Sally saw her husband's flashlight lighting the man's way across the moist pavement as he crossed the double yellow line. The electrician looked aghast. Sorry about that. I was trying to get the hell out of Dodge, Brent said. John's van was parked, facing the avenue of trees that lived in the mansion beyond. The electrician's vehicle faced the other way, parked haphazardly, towards an embankment. John stepped out, stood arms akimbo with Scott next to him, listening and observing. Brent, who appeared excited and was gesturing wildly towards, okay, I'm sorry, listening and observing Brent, who appeared excited and was gesturing wildly towards the mansion. Ryan opened the van's back doors and joined the group. Larry followed, leaving Sally inside the van, peering through the window. Both newbies busied themselves taking cell phone photos of the mansion several yards ahead at the end of the avenue and the grounds around them. You gotta slow down, man. I can't follow you, John said to the electrician. Yeah, you won't believe it. You won't believe it if you saw if you saw it. Brent was Brent was shakily trying to light a cigarette. He had extended his shoe his shoe for all to see. Larry approached, taking a cell photo. What are they? That's this was Larry. Can't you see? Brent replied in disbelief. Harris is all, John replied. Not just Harris. This is just the beginning. We're listening, Ryan replied. The group stood in a cluster around Brent, who clearly was terrified. Ryan leaned down and began picking Harris off the man's shoes as Brent puts on a cigarette, as if his life depended on it. Ryan held up the Harris from the shoe for all to see. John examined them. The Harris were coarse, a myriad of three colors, fur. Take a look, John. Take a look, John approached Brent, holding some of the fur. Brent exhaled a puff of smoke. He paused to examine them, then blanched. Does this match what you think you saw? Ryan asked. Brent went from excited to embarrassed. Well, now that I see it, pause. Sorry, I think that's fur from my own dogs. Touch them. Brent reached out and took a tuft of hair. A look aching to loss of a face crumpled his a look aching to a loss of face crumpled his features. You have dogs? Brent nodded, looking away. John placed a reassuring hand on the man's shoulder, trying to get him to relax. Sally was pinned to the spot on her stool, trying to hear every detail. She exhaled. 
Brett hauntingly told him of his encounter with something strange in the adjoining cemetery as he was attempting to spot the electrical cable that was buried somewhere on the road. Man, you should you should know better, trying to do work this late, Ryan chuckled. A veteran to the paranormal a veteran to the paranormal. John made a mental note to check out the library's records and news articles and books to see if the cemetery had any history. Go home and start at first light tomorrow. Easier on the nerves and your eyes, okay? John counseled. Brent didn't need further prodding. He dropped the cigarette stub on the ground and stomped on it, stomped on the remaining embers. He seemed deflated. I know what I saw. There's something out there. I'll look into it, Larry offered. It's okay, guy. It's probably just nerves. You must have heard some stories about the mansion, Scott added. I thought there were people working up there on the third floor. The day crew doing overtime? Larry asked John. John shook his head. Folks, let's not make assumptions. Could be a trick of the light. And we know there's orbs where there's old homes, John concluded. He turned to Brent. Get a good night's sleep. Yep, morning time's better. Much better. I'll need to check out the check out the cemetery myself, John reassured him. Bring a gun. Brent shook his head, still shaken. He climbed into his truck, and everyone could use a lock and gauge. He rolled up his windows and waved as the motor came to life. Sally stepped out and joined the group. She turned to join John as she overheard him talk to Larry, who was carrying a wire-bound notebook. Write this down. Check records at Check records at Library of Wild Animal Sightings and History of Cemetery. Larry scribbled and looked up. What do you think of his story, boss? Not sure yet, but it may be just a story. His own dog's first scared him? That's that, 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 that was the new guy, Scott. The man chuckled. This was the new guy, Scott. The man chuckled. Sally's eyes became luminous in the starlight as her husband replied, he probably saw something strange. He's genuinely scared. John was going to leave old options open for now. The case was new to him. Outside of the witness statements, he knew little about the cemetery, nor did he know much about Brent Cooper. Quickly, Sally turned back to the van and climbed in, spotting a blanket next to her. She grabbed it and folded it and wrapped it around her as she suddenly became cold. She watched the men climb in and shut the door. Lock it, please, Sally said. It was close to 10 p.m. Chapter 15. Let me get this. Ah, my eyes get dry right away, man. That's why I don't like my glasses. Give me a minute. John sat by the large kitchen. Just give me a minute. Let it settle down here. John sat by the large kitchen, his hands folded together, his brows creased. He had been leaning back against the chair and looking at the pots and pans above him hanging from the large racks above the massive wooden table. The copper pots and pans seemed to be a stark and incongruous contrast to his modern detection equipment, which blinked green and with four cameras strategically placed in the area of, this in the, area of the mansion, feeding a live feed to Sally outside the van. The EVP equipment also winked, also winked to some hidden melody he still had yet to hear once they were done. Another table, a farm table, with thick legs, made of some strong wood, stood adjacent and was similarly festooned with old types of equipment. Oh, with, I'm sorry, with old types of kitchen crockery. Most, if not all, the pots and utensils were made of copper, their gleam muted by dust and time. It appeared that the kitchen stood waiting. The pots 
and paths still hanging at attention, like the days they had been used for a feast. Ahead of John, just past the large table he sat on, was a stone fireplace still stacked with firewood. A large bellows and other accoutrements for, for building a fire stood by the massive stone mantel, waiting to, waiting to like obedient soldiers. The silence was deafening, except for the constant drip, drip of water from the faucets made of nickel and copper nearby, which were caught by huge sinks made of some soapstone material. He stared at his thermos, starkly plain and utilitarian amid the high-end kitchen utensils. The tea service, still sitting on one of the counters, appeared grand and opulent compared to the Disney mug, to his Disney mug purchased on their last trip to Orlando. John was tempted to examine the silver gilded service. Okay, John was John was tempted to examine the silver gilded service, which sat on a large pedestal table of inlaid wood. Something told him the silver tray of the service alone probably cost his month's salary. The empty teacup sat stacked in hues of blues and gold. The gold still gleamed despite the cover of dust. John's investigative equipment was all working on batteries, the pack sitting on the floor next to him, the electrical cord snaking by the side of one foot towards the EVP machine and the camcorder equipment. An assembly of similar equipment with three cameras feeding into two monitors was duplicated strategically and manned by Scott in the dining room near the front foyer. One camera was aimed at, at one of the third floor bedrooms above where Ed had seen and supposedly heard something. Two cameras sat, sat poised in the third floor hall where Ryan sat nearby and one in the attic where Trevor had seen his encounters and the drawing and the drawing room across from the kitchen. I'm sorry, but Trevor had his encounters in the drawing room across from the kitchen where Jerry had heard a man talking in German had the last camera. There were too many rooms, so he had to decide which of the witnesses had revealed the most activity. There were reports of a child talking somewhere in the deep recess of the building, which he also needed to record for due diligence. Earlier that night, when they'd entered as a team, they'd placed cameras in the 10 areas they considered hotspots. Small microphones sat in major areas where noises had been reported. John knew these might be too much to do in one area or two or John knew there might be too much to do in one or two overnights and sensed from the reports that the team might have to return multiple times. Now, after talking with the electrician, he was wondering if the area, not just the mansion, was haunted. But the man's demeanor demanded more collaborative evidence. The cemetery nearby in the area around the mansion was another overnight in itself. John needed ample evidence to present to the owners, and they wanted it quickly, as if ghosts would perform on demand. He surveyed the double door to his left, partially open for him to see beyond. That was another stairwell, which was simpler and more utilitarian. He vaguely recalled Jerry telling him that it was used for servants who had to deliver food from the kitchen directly up to the bedrooms. Also, another place where some had heard some more noises, according to the manager. Another portal, John thought. He decided he had to divide his time and, and the men's, as the mansion was just too vast to take in for one sitting. Then a female cough caught his attention behind him. He turned to the kitchen door that connected to the hallway behind him. He wondered whether Sally had decided to enter to use the powder room, one of which was right by the foyer. 
He had almost forgotten about the toilet for her. Sally? Sally? Sal? Someone echoed back. John stood, almost upending his chair. A massive door greeted him, yawning open. He hadn't noticed the hinges before. It appeared to have a bolt. John walked through the door and into the hall into a hallway shrouded in semi-darkness, save for some of the lanterns that had been placed on the floor. One lantern eliminated the end of the hall located to his right, which led to the library, and another stood halfway up, leading to the front stairs toward his left. He forgot to eliminate the front hall ahead of the double front door at the very end, and made for a very long dark hallway. However, the light from two cameras on the floor signaled things on that end, too, would be recorded. Mentally, John pictured Scott in the dining room to his right of the front door on the first floor, the floor he was on. From where he was seated, Scott had a view of both the front foyer, both the front foyer beyond and the living room entrance, but not the half, not, not the hall further back towards the second dining room and library. So there was a camera there. Scott had three camera monitors. John was the only one stationed in the kitchen with the four monitors. So he set one camera he set one camera up there to make sure he didn't miss anything while he was viewing a portion of the house. Ryan was up on the second floor in the bedroom right below where Ed had spotted the phantom dog the phantom dog head at the window. He was responsible for two monitors as as he was the contact for for Sally who might need help on, in the van. There was one camera there. That left Larry, his co-worker, in the attic, where Trevor had heard the woman's voice. The last camera and an EVP recorder were set down to capture whatever was, was heard there. Larry was the newest member of the team, and so was given the lightest monitoring load. John looked back at the equipment he'd set up on the massive kitchen farm table. The lights on the EVP and the video monitor were all blinking green. All seemed well as far as the equipment went. Satisfied, John stood up and stretched his legs, needing a break. He strode farther down the hall to check in on Scott and determine if Sally had entered in, in, in quest of a bathroom. She could have called him on the walkie, but he assumed she forgot. Scott? He looked up at the lantern placed on the stairwell landing. Someone perceptibly shifted when he looked up to check. Scott? Not right now. John looked up the stairs above the lantern. It was a feminine voice. Sally, why are you up there? Sometimes. A definite feminine voice, but not his wife's. John backed away from the step and felt someone behind him. Hey. John almost lost his dinner. He turned to find Scott right behind him. What, did you hear a woman? Up there? Scott looked up. John began to ascend the stairs and then heard the walkie-talkie come alive. John, I need to use the bathroom. It was Sally. John looked at Scott. It wasn't my wife earlier. Scott looked back. That's her on the walkie just now, right? I thought I heard her in the kitchen, then, then here by the stairs, just before she called me on the... John, I gotta go. Sally pleaded on the walkie. Scott, Scott strode toward the front door and stepped out. The sky was dark, the scent of rain that lingered in the air. The wind had picked up Scott's cross the wind had picked up as Scott crossed the deep front porch and made for the front lawn. John looked out, watching from the double front door. Sally peered out from the back door of the van. 
which was slightly ajar as Scott approached. She appeared surprised. You can come in if you want. I'll walk you through, Scott said, lending a hand to help Sally step down. Sally stepped out, looking confused. Why am I going in? John descended the two steps to the porch of the van. You call him and use the toilet. Silence. Nope. Scott looked back at John. I just hid I, I just hid in the bushes, the side of the house, Sally chuckled. The two men got back. Okay, it's not ladylike, but dang, sorry about the mic, guys. I'm trying to adjust here because I'm hurting. It's starting to push down. Okay. I just hit the bushes, the side of the house, Sally chuckled. The two men gawked back. Okay, it's not ladylike, but no one was around. Didn't want to make a big, you know, production of it. Then the walkie-talkie came alive again, interrupting their thoughts. John, came up the st- John, come up to the third floor. I got something on the EVP here. It was Larry in the attic. Lair, can you, ma- can you make sure that's recorded? We discussed this. We'll look at all the stuff later, remember? I moved. I'm on the third floor. I followed some, some, a shadow. It went down through the back stairwell and into a third floor bedroom. John appeared irritated. Larry, please stay where you are. I'm coming up. He gestured at Scott to head back to the post. Scott strode back and re-entered the home with John on his heels. Hun, what was that about? Sally queried as John walked up the porch. I'll tell you when we get home. John went up the stairs, past the lantern on the landing, and as he entered the second floor landing, a mist passed him. John turned in time to see what appeared to be a black smoke floating and then dissipating into one of the bedroom walls. We use these stairs sometimes, in another feminine voice. John flicked on his walkie and talked to Sally, who remained outside the van. You still out there? I am. Should I go back to the... Yes. Go back to your post in the van and shut the door, please. John was beginning to feel his jaw tense. The area was infested. He flicked the walkie back on. Gents, stay chill. Sally, make sure we're recording. Chapter 16, Saturday, 4.30 a.m. The team re-entered the van. Let me get this in my eyes dry. A little dampness here. The team re-entered the van, and Sally sighed. See, see, get off balance too. And Sally sighed with relief. She had dozed off before the walkie-talkie came alive again to find it was already half past four in the morning. She straightened up, rolling the blanket that covered her legs, as Larry and Ryan placed the equipment back inside the van. They appeared exhausted but calm. John peered in and told him Scott was driving. John was securing the house and checking doors before leaving. In a few hours, the renovation crew's weekend people were returning. He walked back out, closing the van's back doors. Sally peered out peered out the van's one window, pushing the curtain back. Scott emerged with equipment and entered through the van's passenger side, stowing leftover food and water on the floor of the van. Same deal tonight, guys, Ryan said to the group as Scott entered and sat, closing the door. Happy Saturday, Larry chuckled. Ryan rechecked the equipment as he sat next to Sally on the stool and then looked at Sally's monitors over his shoulder. His eyes widened. Larry looked over Ryan's shoulders. One camera was still on. It showed John unplugging the equipment 
and, sec and securing it in the kitchen. The lantern had dimmed, but something was standing to the right of John near the fireplace, past the silver tree ser tea service. <clears throat> Whatever it was was very formally dressed, like a butler. Its face was obscured by the hanging pots over the massive table. Ryan hit the microphone button to tell John, but the figure moved and appeared to float up and disappear towards the ceiling. Then the camera went dark as John disengaged the cord to secure it for the daytime. Did you see that? Larry asked in a whisper. Sally, who sat riveted to her seat and enwrapped, hit the microphone button, but the light had winked out, disconnected until the return later that night. Ryan darted a look at Sally. You saw that? Sally tapped yes. I guess we'll tell him when he gets here. I wonder if we caught that on the on camera. All right, guys. That's going to do it for today. We're at chapter, we'll start chapter 17 on Sunday. And uh, a great book. In fact, it makes me antsy to get back out and investigate, I'll tell you. I miss it. We haven't been out in a while. We've got two coming up in Auburn that we're going to be doing. You know, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed tonight. Again, uh, William Ramsey had some personal business he had to take care of tonight at the last minute. So he'll be with us a week from Thursday uh, to, do the, to do that show. And uh, tomorrow, uh, we have the author of this book, Anna Maria Manello, here. Uh, to, she's been on a few times on the show, but she's going to be here to catch up, and we can talk about this book, and we can talk about another book that she has coming out in April. So she's been very busy, and uh, she travels a lot, too, so it's, kinda, it's, it's fun to talk about you know, that stuff with her as well. But I want to thank you all for coming tonight. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here. Uh, you know, we just want to get the word out about the show. That's what we're doing. It's just like if you are watching on Facebook and you like what you see, please be sure. Close my eyes. It gets a real good dry. Uh, please be sure to uh, hit that like button. Show me some love. And uh, yeah, because we want to keep the algorithm going. And, uh, you know, if you haven't before, you know, when you haven't really listened before, this is your first time, check out our videos. Go over to our YouTube site. It's youtube.com forward slash California Haunts Radio. And check us out over there because we've got more than 541 videos sitting over there and they're all different topics not just reading not just paranormal but i mean like the thing we've been talking about tonight we've been talking about murder cases we talk about health food and all kinds of stuff you know healthy subjects so come and check us out i think there might be something that you like and if you do find something that you like and you want to listen some more to us feel free to uh hit that little ghost with the magnifying glass and the sherlock holmes hat on and uh that'll subscribe you to our our channel which will give you access you know to let you know when we're going to have a new show come up and all that good stuff the other thing we got going is a, is a patreon our patreon page is brand new and uh, i do a lot i you know i do this business because i'm interviewing people from all over the world uh the people that are in australia and places like england and places like that they're like ahead of us in time and so the only way to do those is to pre-record the interviews so what i'm doing with the patreon is one of the things i'm offering is that um when I pre-record an interview, I'll put it on the Patreon two weeks before I put it up on the regular California Haunts radio stuff, you know, to show to the general public. So everybody that's a member of the Patreon gets to see it two weeks early before anybody else does. So uh, I, I really strongly suggest you, you check out the Patreon because not only are we doing that, it's starting this Friday. We're going to be doing after show stuff like with Nancy Matt. So if you end up having any additional questions for Nancy Matt on a subject that we've discussed or any other guests for that matter we're going to set up special nights where the patreon people can the patreon members can join us and have extra discussions 
or even extra shows for that matter with 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 guests so i i think it's a great thing and uh i think you guys will like it it's 550 a month and uh it helps us out too because we're you know we 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 act as a nonprofit. everything goes out of my pocket when i'm uh doing the show so i i mean like i said i pay for gas i pay for everything with this team and if something breaks etc etc so that 550 goes towards equipment and everything else so anyway, I want to thank you guys. And again, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, and that's going to be a 5 p.m. Pacific show with Anna Maria Manalo. And I hope you enjoyed this book. It is a spooky book. It is based on a true... Uh, let me get over here. My buttons. Okay. It's based on a true story. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Yeah. But it's based on a, it's based on a true story. But how can we say that ghost hunting, you know, is, is, is true? And Because, I mean, it's an exact science. So... You know, the best we can do is it's based on evidence gathered at the site, you know, and uh, what the paranormal group came up with. So uh, it's, it's a very interesting story. And I've never heard the story before or of this mansion or anything like that. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, thank you. And uh, I hope you have a good rest of your evening. And I will see you tomorrow at 5 p.m. Pacific.